Okay, welcome to episode number four of Untethered. My name is Bree and I'm your host. And I'm really excited to have another guest in recovery here with me today. Um, I've actually never met her. We've known each other for about five minutes here. And I'm so excited that she reached out to me on Facebook and offered to come and share her story. I am very grateful to have you here with me today, Shauna. And yeah, we're going to get right into it. So I'll let Shauna introduce herself and tell us a little bit about who she is. Hi, Bree. Thank you for letting me be here to share my experience, strength and hope. And it's just, it's an honor. Thank you so much. I'm... In my 60s, I you know, have um, damaged myself with um, alcohol and drugs for a long time in my life. Uh, I was out there for 45 years doing everything that I could cover up the pain with. And I've been in recovery now for 12 years. As Amazing. I was letting you know that I celebrated my 12th year on February the 11th. And yeah, so excited about being here and and talking all about it. Uh, I've come from a family that uh, is full of addiction and I've had a lot of um, deaths from alcohol and drugs and and that my biological father died of alcoholism, you know, liver cirrhosis and, and anything disease-wise from alcohol and you know he died with a glass of alcohol in his hands and and it was just from then on it was um, my, my older sister died of alcohol and pills and um, my brother my half brother died of on the streets of vancouver um, addicted to heroin and so i've got, i've got a strong background in it in my genes and in my whole world around me and you know i definitely started out by trying to cover up the pain Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just an experience that I know that you know I was I was quite angry when I first came into recovery, wondering why this happened to me and why you know I was in addiction for so long. But now I'm like, this is why mm-hmm. I I need to tell a story. And you know, the only way to tell a true story is to be in it yourself. And you know, I I couldn't tell this if I didn't experience it. So yeah, it's, um, it's quite the story. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear it. And I uh, right away, I can already relate so much. I come from a big family history of addiction and losses and dealing with that. And I thought that that was going to be my reality as well forever. So it's amazing. You've broken a cycle. Mm. We're breaking family cycles, which is, it's huge. It's a huge gift to be able to do that. And you should be so proud of yourself. 12 years <sighs> is incredible. So congratulations. Um, if you want to just start off by sharing a little bit about how your addiction started, where it led you to, and how you finally made the choice to come into recovery. That okay. would be amazing. All right. I hope I won't be all over the map because sometimes I am. My head doesn't, hey. you know, isn't all there all the time. That's but okay. We'll just go with it. Anyway, um, yeah, my addiction, I first came into it by alcohol. And I always say that alcohol was my gateway. And because I found it soothing, I found it warmth. Um, I found comfort in it at eight years old. Wow. And that's the old, earliest rem- um memory of it you know my family was alcoholics they raised me in you know that partying was what they did mm-hmm. you know, that was a family 
ordeal was to always drink at dinner and socialize with our family members and the very large extended family. So they always got together and it was always with a lot of alcohol and the children were involved. And, you know, um, I can remember, you know, the making up blenderfuls of drinks and we as children were always sent to the basement to play together. And, but we were always stealing whatever we could out of the blender with straws or, you know, with measuring cups and taking whatever we could. And so, you know, memories of, of that started very, very young. And so then I went on to, you know, by about 13, I was into drugs. And by 19, I was into everything that I could get my hands on. Um, you know, I, I felt like when I came into this program, I learned that I never belonged to anything mm. in my addiction. And, you know, looking back, I didn't belong in my family. I really felt like I was a misfit. Um, in school, I felt like a misfit. Um, in my jobs along the way, I didn't feel really connected. And I could never figure it out. I was going from one job to another. I was going from one home to another. You know, I, I moved around so much as a child in my home. I, my stepfather moved us around a lot, but I think I learned to just move when things came down. And I didn't know that things were coming down in his world and he was moving from that. But I, I think I took that on. And when anything came across, like my, my famous lines were F it, I'm done and I'm out of here. Mm, and yeah. you know, I took that through my whole being in in my addiction and you know in my jobs that uh, you know the course of being I worked for Island Health for 30 over 30 years and in that I marked down how many different jobs I was at and uh, total to 38 jobs wow. or sorry 31 years 28 jobs wow in that whole <laughs> like and that you know there's different organizations that I went to but I was still a part of island health at that time and yeah so it was like anytime anything would come down to me like you know be against me I was just out of there I didn't I didn't question I didn't you know sit in it I I ran I ran and I ran and I always say to this day like I was I used my path as this dirty blanket that I brought behind me all the time and I never let it go so um, in my addiction, I had a couple of marriages. Um, in my first marriage, I had two children. And in that, um, we split up when my youngest one was just before he turned two. And I went right back to the heavier drugs. And um, I took my children on down with it. Mm. And um, I, in my whole experience being out there, I didn't think I had a problem. I really didn't. I thought, I'm a single mom. I have the right to party. No one can stop me. I'm just feeling good. And I thought I was really, really happy doing what I was doing. But when, you know, I tell my stories in the rooms today, you know, it's, there's a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, um, oh, shit. What did I do? And why did I do it? But, you know, again, it was all running. 
and it was all covering up. I wasn't a true identity of anything. And again, I didn't belong to anything. Um, and even though I had two children to raise, for some reason, that was put on the back burner. And my addiction came first. And I did recall one time um, remembering that my children were quite young at the time and, and I just wanted my drug of choice. And, and I left them at home and went downtown Victoria in an alley to meet somebody for it. And, you know, now when I tell the story, like anything could have happened to me that night and my kids might have not had a mom. But when I think about it, they never had a mom their whole growing up because I was such in my addiction mm -hmm. that they didn't have me. I wasn't cooking meals. I wasn't, you know, caring for them. You know, I was showing up, getting them to school and picking them up. But half the time I was late, half the time I was drunk. Half the time I was, you know, had better things to do than put my children first. And, you know, that's a hard reality of this addiction. And and in no way I'm proud of any moment of it. But I've got a, a very strong relationship with my son now. He's gone through it all with me, stuck with me through thin and thick. Um, in it, though, I've lost um, a relationship with my daughter. Um, I'm not able to see my grandchildren because I don't know boundaries. I was never taught boundaries. And now again, this is my story. Um, I don't know how she feels about our relationship, but she told me about two, three years ago now that um, I couldn't go come around her and her family because it was triggering her. And, and I put her through so much hell growing up that she just couldn't, handle me being around anymore and I was I just wanted to be a grandma I wanted to replace those years mm -hmm. that I right I'm a little bit emotional about this sure. but I you know I, I really wanted to be a totally different person mm -hmm. in her eyes and and wanted my grandchildren to come first and um, I did realize what I was doing in her life I was you know implanting myself daily at her house and wanting to do whatever I could for her. And, and that was wrong. Um, you know, we took, we had taken a 10 year um, stint where we didn't see each other through five years of my addiction and then five years of my recovery. And then she came around. Um, but yeah, it was just, and it's still hard to this day not to have her. She just turned 32 yesterday on February the 19th and you know I didn't get to see her I didn't get to you know give her a birthday gift and do my routine that, that I did when she was younger but you know that's old stuff and again that's a little bit of you know the past that I want to move forward on and you know I think if I keep on stemming on those emotions I can't move forward mm -hmm. so I've got to speak about it enough to realize that this is my destination this is my destiny this is my journey and only I can do it and I'm the only one that can change the outcome of it mm -hmm. and that's been a long time coming yeah. to to this like um, you know first six years of recovery I was angry 
I was, and so bitter at everything. I was angry at commercials that showed alcohol. Like, how dare you? But then, and, but it was just all of my stuff coming out. And I truly believe in that saying that we have in the rooms that, you know, it's some um, layers of the onion, and we peel it away, and we we get to see the true self. But me starting so young at eight, I don't know what there is of me. So I'm experiencing a whole growth of a new person, right. and and that's can be hard at times because. It, you know, they say that you get your old self back when you come into recovery and and get this program and it, get um, serenity. Mm. But I, like, I don't know what those feelings are. Right. I. Oh, so on my last night out, I actually overdosed, and um, I was so sick, and I, I've been sick in that for many, many nights that I was out and the next morning feeling really sick. But this time was different and it took a toll. And I had, I think over the years it started taking a toll on my body and I didn't even realize that. Like I, you know, everything was failing. Um, but in recovery, you can get everything back. And I've learned that, like my body is healthy now. Mm-hmm. But back then, you know, 12 years ago, I was... I was a mess and it took um, about two months of me being so sick that I couldn't even leave my bed and and I was scared to leave my bed. I didn't know that I still had a problem. I didn't know that I needed to come for help. I didn't know what it was. I, I was very confused. I thought I was depressed. I thought I was all these things, but in that, um, stop stopping doing the drugs and and the alcohol memories of my childhood came flooding back and the trauma um i was sexually abused by my stepfather for many years um and i had learned over the years that my sister was when i had my children she confessed to me and i thought she was a liar (laughs) just like everybody when i talk about it tells me that I'm lying about it mm. but I I thought I was daddy's little girl and how he could do the same thing to her was more more why I called her a liar not that she was lying about what happened right. it was more that yeah I was in such a different headspace as a young child getting abused by this man who I thought was on this pedestal and you know, loved us, and but he loved us in the wrong way, and his mm. his faults, you know, were definitely, you know, played out through um, his stepchildren, and you know, it was it was a horrible life, and mm. you know, and and coming into recovery, you know, I definitely blame my mom um, for not being there, not protecting, and you know, she's been like this. Uh, how do I say it, like this anger towards even me in recovery because I can't move forward with that anger of her. And, you know, how could she, like, for years she laid next to this man after was told 
point blank, this is what happened and you've got to believe it. Mm. So um, in my recovery, I did try to press charges against him. Um, it went to Crown, but then the Crown wouldn't take it. Mm. And this was back in 2016. And I could have really gone back to the drugs and alcohol at that time yeah. because it was just like this knife. You know, I had confessed it all, I had gone through it all, I had gone through you know, having a detective, gone through my whole story. You know, I was with, um, associated with um, uh, um, the Addiction Center for Children and uh, Abuse for Children. And they were really supporting me, had my back. Um, I felt like I was finally being believed. Right. And, um, you know, the, the police seemed to be really um, a backing for me and the ability to tell what happened and the memories that I had, you know, was all on record and, and that. But then when it didn't happen, um, I actually asked if I could talk to the Crown that made this, this decision not to take the case on. And I asked her why. And she said, because we didn't think we could win. And the crown only goes after court cases that they can win. Mm -hmm. And I just still to this day find that really heartbreaking. Yeah. Because, you know, people that are able to come forward with this information is, is vital to have the whole system, the whole world know about it and then hear about it and then have their back. Because if they don't, you know, it could stem on going back to covering it up and and I I think I refused to cover it up I think I took on the oh you know now I'm gonna fight the justice system and I didn't but I just I did the fact that I changed my last name I you know no longer wanted to be associated with this man and because of marriages I went back to my maiden name name a couple times but then I thought no I'm, you know, clearing this whole record. I legally changed my last name, and and then I I got some strength out of that. Um, uh, my stepfather did die um, two years ago now, and my mother, which I didn't know, was holding a real resentment towards me. She didn't even put me in the obituary. Now I didn't need to be in the obituary, mm -hmm. but it truly hurt that you know this man who raised me and did what he did to me you know they didn't even acknowledge that i was even alive mm. and so i felt very dead at that point two years ago and you know with that they didn't even put my 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 children in so his grandchildren weren't even announced and so you know not only my telling the truth didn't just affect me it affected my children, mm. you know, and my daughter was, you know, like, I don't even know how she could accept that not being, you know, part of the announcement of his death it, because she didn't know all of that, um, you know, and it wasn't her story to, to go with. So, you know, it affects so much of our, our lives, mm. no matter how, these people do these things to these children or to people, 
it, it just stems so far into the future that no one knows the consequences of their actions. And I really truly believe that they should be accountable mm -hmm. for it now. But saying that, you know, in recovery, I've done lots of sets of steps mm -hmm. and really been kind of fluffy through them. Yes, I'm, you know, unmanageable. Yes, I'm this and yes, I'm this and not truly answering the questions. Right. I just did a set of steps with um, a bunch of women and it was every week we had to come back with the next set of steps and answer the questions. And, and every step that I took, I was finding that for the first time in these 12 years that I was actually answering them with the truth and the gut and the, the whole being of what this program is all about and how steps really work for me. Mm -hmm. And um, on my step nine, my amends, I you know would put my mom's name back on that list and you know in this um, step that I was doing, these steps that I was doing, it gave you three choices to do it now or put it off or never. So I could put these people on these three categories. So by the end of the week, I had put my mom back to the never mm -hmm. thinking, oh, I, yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it. But then just before our step study group was meeting, I thought, no, I got to do this. I, you know, got to make amends to her. And so I sent her an, a, a message asking her if she wanted to meet with me. And in that, and I said, you know, I just want to apologize for the way I acted towards you. Plain and simple. And she came back with the exact same thing that she's always done to me. You know, you owe everybody else an apology that loved you and, mm -hmm. and just, and I think I'm still bit angry about the way she came back and then she said you know I'll never forget that 10 years you attacked me so I'm trying to think back on 10 years oh right in my recovery I asked her to meet me and and I told her everything that I went through as a child and why I become addicted because I had just been out of treatment and they asked even for family members to come up to the treatment center and go through these family issues together with counselors. And my family refused. Mm. Each and every one of them refused to come up, even my sister. So I, I met with her and I told her everything. And I basically, how dare you could lie next to this man that you knew that did this to your children. You know, you sold us out and yeah, I. I definitely did attack her. Mm -hmm. And then hearing those words from her, I thought, oh my God, she's held this for 10 years. No wonder she didn't put me in the obituary, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, things are coming a lot clearer. And then I thought, wow, hold that anger for that long. Mm. And she's a grown-up. And then I realized, I'm a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What am I doing? I'm turning into her. Mm. So, so I, out of this step nine, I got the realization that, oh, I did attack her. I didn't realize that I did. Mm -hmm. And then I realized the attack took 10 years of her life and she's still stemming on it. And then I realized that, you know, I'm becoming the person that I never wanted to become. And that was number one, my mom. And very judgmental, very, 
you know, mad at the world. And, and then I could see her holding on to this. And throughout my whole addiction, my whole recovery has been this bringing up my past and being so angry about my past. I'm doing the exact same thing as my mother did. So this has been like this, just this, this door opening, these windows opening, and I'm able to fly now, and I'm over, able to he- hold my head up high, and you know, have this ability to go, hey, that you know, just yeah, you can feel bad about it, mm-hmm. but don't let it ruin your day, and don't let it make you go back to using. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, there's you know a whole gamut of like the steps have just created this whole new whew, life of Shauna. Yeah. And I've, you know, learned to to let, and I used to hate that, let it go. Mm-hmm. I used to hate when people said that. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know how to let it go. I don't, I don't know how to let it go. So why are you telling me to let it go? Mm-hmm. But now I'm able to just, you know, put my hands out there and ask my God, my higher power, to help me on situations that I can't let go of and he's he's there for me and it's just um freaking amazing yeah yeah I can relate yeah yeah absolutely yeah so wow I'm proud to come to this realization at this time you know sometimes I I wish I could have came to it earlier mm-hmm. you know it took me 12 years of recovery to ah, nail biting and you know, hanging on, and I used to say, dog with a bone, not letting go till, you know, I get this solved, and, you know, that's not the way of life, and, Absolutely. you know, our our whole steps, and in this program, teaches you a better life, mm-hmm. and, you know, in meetings, and everything, this, this recovery movement is such a powerful, ah, yeah, yeah, it's a breath of fresh air, Absolutely. you know, and I just took in the breath and it was just like, I can feel it. And, you know, it's it's my whole being now instead of that angry on that grew up with, you know, this stigma of that I didn't belong. Mm. And I belong in this big, amazing group of people mm-hmm. that are full of miracles that have these incredible stories like I do and have this strength that I don't think anybody else could do and not, unless they come into recovery. You know, I heard somebody say that um, this is the bravest thing they've ever done. And wow, yeah, yeah it is. It's just, yeah, so brave. It is. I really can relate I can relate to so much of your story that you just shared on a huge level, never feeling a part of, uh, not feeling believed, not feeling like I could come forward with the truth about things, not being respected when I finally had the courage to do so. And the fact that you've been through so many challenges in your sobriety, through your daughter and through the court system like you touched on and with your own family stuff and managed to stay sober is incredible. Um, but when you talk about being sober for, I, th- I think, how long was it? 10 years before this recent realization of freedom or? It, it actually took place on this last set of steps, which I just completed. Wow. Step 12. This so almost last 12 week. years. Yeah. So yeah almost so, 12 years of sobriety, yes. but still not experiencing 
that actual freedom, like kudos to you for staying sober. I was a dry drunk for a year and a half and I was miserable and I, and I wasn't drinking. And like I shared in my story, I, I felt everything so much more then. I didn't have anything to numb that out and all the feelings were so intense and I'm amazed I didn't drink in that time. But when I actually went from sobriety into real recovery and had this honest look at at myself and learned to love myself and learned to accept everything, it just shifted for me. Oh, so what would you say, like, how, how have you really come into that place where you now feel this level of freedom? What has been the biggest thing for you that has given you that gift? You know, I, and I, you know, I've I heard it in the room so many times. You know, do the steps and, yeah. and you do them properly. You know, do the work, and and I guess I thought I was doing them. Mm. I really did all these years, but I think for myself right now, and every year you kind of get something else and something more and and that. But right now, I I truly believe that it was a set of steps that changed my whole life and doing the amends to a, a person that I truly needed to make that amends to mm. where I never thought I could right and I never thought I thought she owed me more than I owed her and then after hearing you know her holding on to this I have to put her back on my list right because I feel like I owe her huge now right and mm. but yeah I think I think the ability to really listen and get it, mm-hmm. where I was so clouded with so much anger that I couldn't listen. And, you know, I go to this group now that I feel like it's just so raw and honest. And then I heard somebody else share that, you know, in my years of going to certain groups that I finally found a group that shared honestly but then he realized that it was him that came to be able to listen to everybody mm. not poo-poo somebody share which i i think i was doing i would think i was like oh i had it worse than you or i did this or i did this and or you shouldn't share like that or right. whatever right and so i believe that if i'm not fully there like i am now mm-hmm. i was taking myself out of recovery mm. so i think the, the thing that I've learned in this last year is put myself totally in it. Now, in this year of coming to my 12th milestone, you know, I, um, I came across me feeling like I was doing the same behavior, mm. walking down that same side of the street, falling in that same hole over and over and over. And it just seemed so dark, but I was able to get out of the hole mm-hmm. and stay in recovery but I was still falling into it every time. And so one day on my way to work, I realized, okay, I'm going to cross the street. I'm going to get to the other side, not fall down that hole anymore. I get to work that day and I had just been at this new place of employment for three months. And I'd gone through my probation. Everything was accepted, got on benefits and everything. Thought my life was turning around and this company was going to be good for me and it wasn't it was toxic but um they fired me that day <laughs> so i'm like 
okay, so much for crossing the street. Yeah, I feel like no I got hit by a bus. No kidding. And then I actually had found myself outside of in a parking lot outside of a pub, a island, and lo and behold, someone called me because I text everybody that I knew. Oh, I just got fired from my job today, and this woman called me. And she had just been through a relapse,、mm. and I said to her, "Can you tell me what the relapse felt like?" And I don't even know why I asked her that.、Right. And she told me how horrible it was, and I didn't even realize where I was parked. Right. I didn't even know that I was in this parking lot, and we talked for a good hour. And I've always talked to my car on speaker, and you know, had a conversation with somebody. But I sat there in this parking lot through this whole conversation, you know, my experience and strength and and her experience through this, and she was coming into recovery again, and you know, and feeling so depleted, and I could hear it all in her voice, and I wanted to take myself out. I truly wanted to. That was it, you know, losing my job at sixty years old, like. How can this happen?、Right. I was always the one that left、yeah. before stuff happened. And here, you know, this happened. So that was on a Friday. The following Monday, I had in this month, I had put in my notice because I wanted to move into a different place again, and、um, I, I was supposed to move at the end of November. And in that time, this man who I was moving onto his property. Um, called me or texted me and just said it's not going to work,、oh、and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like this is two weeks before the end of the month, and I put in my notice, and they've got somebody else going to be living there, and and that, and I tried to call him, tried to text him, tried to do anything,、It、totally ignored me.、Mm. It, so I'm like, oh my god, okay, yeah, I'm going back out. Yep, I'm taking myself back out. This this is insane. But I, I, for some reason, still held it together and looked for a place, got a place in the nick of time, and and it was amazing because I put the right stuff out there.、Mm. The right stuff came to me.、Right. You know, I didn't put the crap out there that I used to put out,、mm. and then the, the the shit would just keep on coming back.、Right. And I found this amazing place to live now, and、uh, it's just working out. But, you know, few things that are aren't working, but the most of it is working out so beautifully. Like I can come, go to Duncan from where I am in no time. I can come back to Victoria, my whole stomping ground, in no time. I can make this meeting, and、yeah. you know, and a drop of the hat, and it just it works so. Like location is so important、mm-hmm. for me. And anyway, saying all this, I I just um. Just realized that I needed to get myself into meetings. Yeah, I was on on a lot of online meetings and not, you know, taking, you know, just a here and there approach to the meetings at that point. So I I truly know the stories that happen when you don't go to meetings and put yourself in the middle.、Mm-hmm. So to go back to this woman who talked to me on the phone, I finally had to go to the bathroom. I had to leave and、right. go home. And but I didn't go into the pub to go to the washroom, which was just amazing.、Mm-hmm. And I'm driving home. We ended our conversation. I get home and I get this text from this woman, who said, "Thank you for 
asking me what took me out and what what it was like out there no one's ever asked me that wow and it just you know in your conversation to me has made me realize that this is where I want to be in I want to be in recovery I want to have what you have and I'm like you had no idea where I was sitting right so I'm catching it back when you just saved my life yeah. you have no idea wow so you know just all these miracles were mm-hmm. coming up and and that and then so I got myself into meetings up in in Duncan and um I bared my soul I told them how lonely I was and you know didn't have family and Christmas was coming and you know all this stuff and you know it just um they they loved me till I could love myself again and this man walked into the room and he looked like a bus had hit him and he shared that he was coming back from a relapse and he said that he had 12 years wow and it still is so emotional to me and i'm sitting there going i want to go back out i you know i can't make it to my 12 years I, there's just no way and he shared that he had 12 years and went out because he stopped going to meetings stopped doing this and stopped whatever thought he you know just could do it and then he you know spent so many years out you know in the back at it mm. and it, it, you know he and he, he said he felt so shameful coming back and i'm like oh my god you just saved my life yeah so on my 12th birthday he was there oh, cool. and he shared that you know my smile brings him to this room and i said you have no idea that you saved my life and so that was remarkable yeah um on my 12th birthday i had three women in the room that were in the room that had been um support workers or worked at um the treatment center that i went to oh cool and one of them gave me my medallion That's awesome. so they could tell the whole story of exactly what i was like when i entered right the treatment center and though i knew that i was a mess mm-hmm. i didn't have other people saying it mm. to me i did recall that the, the woman that gave me my medallion this year that um i do do recall that when i was at um cedars that i did ask her you know why are you letting other people leave when they're asking to leave and you're not letting me leave and she said i can see the willingness in your eyes and about um about it probably about 6 months ago I was on a Zoom meeting and here this woman was so many years later wow. after you know going through cedars and then through my recovery I hadn't seen her since and maybe I'd seen her over you know a couple of years afterwards but hadn't seen her maybe in 10 years wow and you know her her and I were both crying and you know she said I saw the willingness in you and you know like those little things that if I keep in mind mm-hmm. keep me willing to be in this place and yeah keep on going that's amazing so, sorry for the long explanation no, of I um, love why I was here and I've <laughs> never heard your story so this is so cool you mentioned that you went to treatment yes 
And from the time that you went to treatment, have you had a relapse? No. Good for no. You? So 12 years in recovery, I haven't um, amazing once. Yeah. Good for you. But I always say that I can never say never. Right. Will I pick up? Because I don't know. I have so no one idea. Day at a time. Yes, one day. Yeah. And I will, you know, always be an arm's length away from picking Absolutely. up. So I have to be very careful. And, you know, I'm not that type of person that can't go around a bunch of drunk drunkies and druggies and, and that partiers. Right. I, I can't I can't do that. I'm just not equipped yet mm-hmm. to do it. Because I don't know where my recovery lies and where my addiction lies. I know my addiction, the same story that people are told, is doing uh, push-ups and is ready to take me out and enforcing it and and wants me back. And And I can feel that so much. And, you know, I could feel that before Christmas. And, you know, so I've just, I've changed my whole attitude and outlook mm-hmm. on on it all and you know now I'm cheering for this group I've become a member of this group and just yeah just impacting all of it before I went into treatment so I was about three months clean of everything mm-hmm. but I was doing it on my own and I was doing it in my own bedroom and I didn't realize that I had been doing this um, and I had been asked to come back to work. I had been on a two-month vacation. Viha owed me all this vacation time. Right. So my my boss at the time, who I hated, um, told me that leave now because I'm done with you. And because uh, I kept on going over her head on stuff, and and that's my addiction. And anyway, so I'm I'm off on this leave of, of vacation, and then I started taking leaves. I kept on calling in sick and it wasn't till so this is the end of my um, addiction was my son came home and found me on my bedroom floor I didn't make it to the bathroom so I'd been three months of trying to do this on my own Mm -hmm. and um, and all the memories of what my stepfather did to me were coming up um, so he found me in a mess on my floor and said he'd had enough. Mm. He was done. Um, and at that point, he basically said, you either got to start drinking and drugging and, and doing this or I'm leaving because I, I can't stand you the way you are. Because mm. you're just, you're not a human being. And I wasn't. You were sober. I was sober. Wow. Yeah, for three months, but I wasn't in the program. Mm-hmm. I was. I didn't even think and that I had said a problem. He'd rather you drink and use. Yes. Than who you yes. were. Wow. Yeah. And that's he, a big statement to make. I know. I know because at, at least I was functioning. Yeah. Right. I wasn't functioning well. Yeah. But I was at least functioning. I was in my bed for three months. Wow. And you know, yeah, not moving. So you not knew doing you anything. needed help. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, like I was probably 80 pounds. Wow. I wasn't eating. I wasn't drinking. And, you know, I, I thought if I poured myself a glass of water, it would be vodka. Mm. And I was so scared to even drink. So the obsession and everything was, you know, I call it a mind fuck. It was yeah. just so totally 
out of my control. I couldn't control any of my thoughts. I couldn't control my bowel movements. I couldn't control any right. of my functions anymore. I was dying. Yeah. And I didn't even know I was dying. Um, and I, here I was not using. Crazy. And I was dying. Yeah. Um, my neighbor, my, my son actually, he was in his addiction. And, you know, we were doing drugs together. Um, not hard stuff or anything, but that's not even, there's not even an excuse in that, right? We were, I was, you know, I was stealing from him. Right. right? Like how insane. Um, my neighbor saw me one day on the porch and she saw how gray I was. Um, she took me, she gave me food, brought me over for dinners, and then said, I, I got to take you to my acupuncture. Something's got to give. Like, yeah. you're you're sick. And in my first um, couple of acupuncture treatments, something came to me and said, and I know now it's my higher power, it was my God, it was the being of reality, as I had to tell my boss, that I was in addiction and I had a problem and I needed help. Right. And I told my acupuncture this. And she goes, well, you can't tell your boss that. You'll get fired. I'm like, I'm not healthy. Yeah, I need die. help, right? Yeah. And, and I still didn't even know that I was going to die. I wow. really didn't. So I took it upon myself to email again in sick the next day. And I, so I couldn't even voice. I couldn't even call my boss and listen to her voice, I was emailing, and I'm sick again. Anyways, um, that day, the next day after this appointment, I ended up emailing my boss and saying, could, could we please talk? And she goes, certainly call me. And now this is a person I absolutely hated. Mm -hmm. And so she answered her phone. I couldn't even talk. I couldn't even... You know, and she's kept on saying, Sean, is this you? Is this you? And I finally got the words out that, yeah, I, I, I can't stop drinking and drugging and I need help. Mm. Can't believe it's still very emotional. Um, and she said, well, I'll do whatever it takes. Right. This human being that I hated and I didn't even know she hated me. <laughs> <laughs> well, she just, yeah, despised me. Um, she was willing to help me and she said you know you have to call occupational health and tell this story to and I said oh, there's no way I can talk to anybody else today right. and she said well I can't tell tell them I said please for me could you please you know do do whatever you can because I can't I can't speak anymore mm. you know I, I don't even know how I was able to tell you that I was so sick that I needed this help. It was within minutes, occupational health connected with me. Um, within seconds, um, they had uh, things in place that, you know, I would go to a treatment center or be an outpatient and have recovery somehow. Um, talking to Manual Life, who was supporting this, um, they had said to me on a phone call, you will have to go to an AA meeting for the rest of your life. Wow. And I went, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> There's no, I am not that sick. 
Yeah. You know, reality stepped in and I was like, Ooh, no way. Yeah. But I found mind. myself with the phone up to my ear and I was on my knees hmm. beside my bed. And I said, I'll do whatever it takes wow. to get better. And if it means going to Alcoholics Anonymous for the rest of my life, I'll do it. And she said, well, even if you didn't take my word, the doctor would tell you that you have to do this. And I thought, ooh, there's no way I want a doctor telling me this. <laughs> so I thought, oh, no, I got to get myself to a meeting. So I, I didn't even know what this program was all about. I'd heard about the big book and oh, everybody else in my life had this addiction, but not me. Right? And, you know, so I called up the AA line and I said, how do I become a member? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, get yourself to a meeting. And she had this woman call me and this woman said to me on the phone, you will have a devil on both a devil on one shoulder and God on another shoulder. And the devil will keep on telling you, don't go to the meeting. Don't do this. Don't, you know, just turn around blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you must be crazy woman. She goes, well, there's a, a noon meeting in Sydney, not far away from you where I was living. You know, you can get to it. And this was like 10 o'clock in the morning at this point. And when I hung up from her, it was just like this devil was right there. Mm. I couldn't find, and I'd been sleeping in these clothes other than going out to the acupuncture. And I, like, I hadn't been changing. I hadn't been doing anything. I haven't been keeping myself clean. Um, so I'm thinking, oh, I don't have any clothes. I don't have anything. But like trying to find a pair of matching socks almost took me to not go to that meeting. Wow. And I sat there in a puddle of crying and I found non-matching socks, <laughs> got out the door and I realized, oh, I'm late. There's no way because my acupuncture was right around the same area that this meeting was. But I had no idea where the meeting was. So anyway, so I, all of a sudden was in my car and I was driving and roadblocks, like road constructions, red lights, everything oh that could God. come up. Yeah. This devil is going, come, go tomorrow, go tomorrow. I don't know if it was the devil or not, but this <laughs> yeah, voice was voice. saying to me, oh, just turn around, go tomorrow, you're late. You know, you don't want to arrive late to anything. And, and that and then I thought, well, I'll just find the street. And then I was on the wrong street. Oh and then goodness. I thought, no, find the right street. And then when I was on the right street, I thought, oh, find the building. And I found the building. Oh, my God, it's a church. <laughs> How can I ever go into a church? Right. I was brought up in this strong Catholic family. And I was, God was a punishing God mm. when, when I was growing up. If I did wrong, God was going to punish me. And so I'm like, there's no way I'm going to a meeting that's in a church. Oh, my God, you know, they're going to get me into this cult, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, I found myself outside of my car in the parking lot of this church and thinking, what the like, I don't even remember doing any of these steps. And then I'm in the front of the doorway and I'm thinking as I'm walking towards this meeting, I'll just tell them that I'm in the wrong place. I, you know, I'm looking for this and this. I didn't even get a chance to say that I was in this doorway full of people like it's this tiny room but full of people and um this gentleman at the end of this table held out his hand and it felt like that i had lead boots on mm. and i couldn't move i couldn't run and i couldn't move forward but he held out his hand 
And then he, and I swear to God, there was not a chair in sight for me to go to. All of a sudden, there's this empty chair at the table. Wow. And I sat there in my attire that I probably slept in that night mm. and, um, and cried the whole meeting. And they asked me if I want, and they, they kept on sharing. All these people kept on sharing, but sharing at me. And I kept right. on turning around thinking, they must be talking about somebody behind me. But they were sharing at me, you know, thank you for coming in these rooms. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're in the right place. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I couldn't get any of it. And then after the meeting, this woman came up to me and said, um, you know, we're from Calgary and we were heading into Victoria and we were reading the meeting list of where the next meeting is. And they were almost way far away from the Sydney meeting. And something compelled her to say to her husband, turn the car around. We have to go to Sydney. I have to pray that someone walks into that room. And I don't know why, but I just feel compelled to do this. Wow. So she said, and I was late for all the readings and the give a moment of silence for the mm-hmm. suffering addict that needs to come in. And she prayed after the moment of silence was over. She said, God, you sent me here for a reason. Please send that person into these rooms that need to have this serenity. And so she's telling me all this and I'm going, oh my God, like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened to me. And there's no way that I should be here at this moment. And she said, I willed you to be here. And that, so that was my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, I'm one of these people that go to both programs Mm -hmm. and because I, I need, I need it in my life and, and that, but yeah, so I haven't been, I have continued to be at meetings and through this meeting, I found support because then I went to the treatment center afterwards Mm -hmm. and these people supported me while I was in treatment, kept in touch with me, you know, sent me, you know, messages through people that came up to share their stories. And they would say, you know, all the groups is, is wondering how you're doing. And, wow. you know, gave me sweatshirts from Cedars to wear into there that they had worn. And, so you know, cool. just amazing, amazing stuff. And when before I went into treatment, I had to go through this to the doctor and he went over through my history and did all the blood work and that and he said you're almost dead mm-hmm. and you know you could have killed yourself we wean people off of this stuff when they come into treatment right and you've done it all on your own and all at once like you're lucky to you be are. alive and i'm like <sighs> lucky to be alive when i'm trying to get clean like that just it didn't compute but now I can see it, mm-hmm. you know, how much damage it did to my body. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's the wow. miracle after miracle after miracle that I'm still here. No kidding. That, yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> Your story is so amazing. And the fact that you went from, what, 45 years in yeah. addiction yeah. to 12 years of sobriety, doing all that stuff on your own in the beginning, just amazing, continuous sobriety, no relapse. You should be so proud of yourself. That's absolutely incredible. If you, as we're closing out this uh, interview in this episode, if you were to say anything to someone who's struggling right now with addiction, 
what would you say to them? What kind of hope would you share with them? Get connected with someone that's in the program. That someone, you know, I first heard in these in these rooms that you know stick with the winners, mm. and and I believe that you know, and I I think I stuck with the the newbies at the beginning because I I thought that, you know they had the stories that I had right, and they feel in the same way I felt, but no, it's really to stick with the long timers, the the ones that have the message that you want. Right. Find your story in them, and and you know just own a seat and that's when I say in a, a meeting I I own the seat this is my seat and you know no matter what I come to tell my experience strength and hope for a newcomer and I hope that you know I can change somebody's world and and let them see the beauty of this and and of course you know the, the time that I was angry my shows probably weren't all that great mm -hmm. Right, so now I'm just trying to say, like, stick with somebody that's got it, right? And and find that person that's, you know, exuding what you want, not what you're coming in with, but to find that and and do the work. Mm. You know, I found that I was just skating behind people, and you know, it, not not enjoying the whole time of it. Yeah, so I would say, you know, definitely stick with the winners and, yeah, and, and do the work. Because mm. it, it, until I did the work, then I became basically more willing to accept. And I, this is, this is what I want in my life. Absolutely. Oh. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you so much for taking your time to come and share this with me today. Uh, like I said, there was so much that I could relate to in my own story. And I know that there's going to be people who listen that can relate and are probably struggling right now. And yeah, your story is just so full of hope. And wow, thank you. Like thank I you. just, I, most of the people that I've talked to that are going to be coming on the show, I know already. And I know a bit of their background, but to come in here, it was like a blind date. I had <laughs> no idea what you're going to share with me. And um it was beautiful. And thank there were so you. many times where I was holding back tears because I could relate so much. Um, so thank you for your honesty and, and your willingness to come and share this. Thank with you. Today. And if anybody needs to connect or want to connect and, and that I'm really available and I'm there for support, you know, anybody who's willing to want to get this. Amazing. Yeah. I you know all I can do is share my story to them and, and that, and so willing to. Yeah. Well, thanks, so thanks again, for having Sean. me. Thank you so much. And with that, we will both <laughs> say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>